And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Lord, thank you for these words of yours. Would you come and speak life into our lives in Christ's name, amen. Great to have you with us. If you're visiting, welcome. My name is Dave. As you can tell, I'm one of the priests here. This is not my costume. Well, it is my costume, but I happen to wear it most days, uh, not just on the 31st. Um, And if you are joining us, you are joining us at the end of a a run where we've been looking at the vision and values of St. Bart's. So you've come kind of at the perfect Sunday to check us out because you're getting the summary of all things. Um, and quite simply, they're, 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 they were in the bulletin, I'm not sure if they're still there, but they're on our website, our values, uh, that everything is framed upon. And I'm working through these values of hospitality, uh, of authenticity, of rootedness, of healing and wholeness. Chris, I'm going to miss one I started. And mystery, so mysterious. Um, any others? You can see I love them so well. Um, our, our, our plan is to follow the leading of the Lord Jesus, who has led a group to plant this church in East Dallas, of which I was not an original planter. So I'm, I'm only seven. So if you're new, I'm new as well. We can be new together. Um, but the plan, the vision is to connect the people of East Dallas with God and his people so that we might behold God and become more like him. And that's where our passage uh, meets us so well. And the scene is a familiar one because it's in all of the synoptic gospels. So it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in these, it depends your perspective uh, on life. Um, And some, you know, is a scribe or a lawyer, but I tend to look favorably on lawyers given that my parents were both in law. And if you're a lawyer present, we love you. And uh, so thankful you're here. But here we have in verse uh, 28 uh, a scene where uh, someone has put Jesus to the test. So trying to figure out who he is. Who is this guy? He speaks with authority, but what's his teaching? What's the bent on his teaching? What's he known for? And so in Mark, we have here, uh, it's portrayed as a friendly dialogue. So it's not super adversarial, but it does hit at the key issues of the day. And so he has, holds this friendly dialogue with Jesus, and he asks which commandment of God is of fundamental importance and central to everything else. And at first, it seems a harmless question. But at the heart of this interaction with the scribe is a clash between two very different visions of what it means to be part of God's kingdom. There is the vision that Jesus holds, And there's the vision that's being propagated by the religious elites. And they differ slightly, but in that slight difference is a a vast gulf. What it means, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And And so in that cultural moment, the religious elite, the religious institution, had embroiled themselves with a furious nationalism. 
And so to be part of the kingdom of Israel had very overt political overtones because they were oppressed by Roman rule. And you have the agency of the Roman Empire, which tortured those who stood against them. And you had the people of Israel. And so to follow God was to be full of nationalism. It wouldn't have anything to speak to today's cultural moment at all. Um, or maybe it does. As I tell, told everyone during the election cycle, I'm a Canadian who lived in Europe for 13 years. Let's just not talk about politics. And uh, it seemed to work. Um, but what happens is, is that when these things happen, it's happened throughout the centuries in church history, what happens is different agendas can come forward and it seems like faith in Jesus takes second chair, which was never the intent of Jesus. And the reasons we can go into and talk about in a myriad of podcasts that would help. And so what happens is, is Jesus is seeking to make his agenda trump all the other agendas, to make, the, make his agenda number one. And so Jesus answers the lawyer directly. He says, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God completely. Love him completely. Yeah, that was just to wake you up. Uh, to love him completely, forgive me. Uh, and the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. And I think what these two last years for me, as someone who's led for most of the time, not in this congregation, but in another one, is that it served to remind me that the applauded markers of good Christian faith Spiritual gifts, immovable faith, generosity, and even persecution can all be achieved or worked out without the right motivation. It can all be done without love. And I think love is the key. Love is the primary ingredient. Love is the starting point, and love in the eyes of Jesus with his agenda, love is both the starting point and love is the destination. And so one of the questions I ask myself, and I don't know if it'd be helpful for you to hear what goes on in my mind, is I'll often ask myself, I have this written out, is love enough for me? And these were things that a mentor of mine would challenge me with. He said to me when we first started meeting, David, you don't need someone to make you feel good about yourself. You'll have plenty of those. You need someone to keep you in touch with reality. So let's meet up every three weeks, and I'll take you to a nice restaurant. We'll eat well, and I'll grill you for the two hours. And he just happened to be one of the best lawyers in London. So you can imagine, it was an exhausting and fulfilling time all at once. But this is what he helped me to see. And these are the questions, that, some of the questions I've taken away from those meetings. Is love enough for you? Or are you creating your own markers of how good a follower of Jesus you are? What's your motivation? Is it love-led? Or is it results-led? Guarantee, and this is where I default, you get a bunch of pastors together. The hardest thing in the world is not to talk about numbers. You know, or how big, what are you doing? You know, it all comes down to these results. No one has ever asked me when I've met another, you know, one of these pastors' conference, do you love him? Do you know his love? 
which is a totally different way, isn't it? And it's so challenging in this, in this world we live in. But here we have it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And this comes straight from Deuteronomy chapter 6, which we had read. And a faithful Jew would repeat this twice daily, morning and evening. And it encapsulates the idea of total devotion. And total devotion is to love God because having faith in him and delighting in him requires us to do that in community. Before I was married, I thought I was the most loving person ever. The most self, uh, not selfish, uh, non-selfish person ever. And then, you know, living in community with a spouse or, or with friends, you certainly see, realize, oh, maybe my view of reality is different than the rest of the world. But how do we love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Well, it happens in community. I mean, there's nothing new here. Um, it's about studying his word. It, yes, individually as a, as a devotional practice, but also in community. It's about joining in worship, in community, and about serving the community, and about giving of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Again, nothing new. And what's so incredible is the synoptic gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all paint a picture of this kind of love that involves the heart full of emotion. And that that's, some, some of us need help. I, need, I needed help in this area to grow. I remember after we were married, Rachel and I would be, we were in, we were amazingly, as an amazing act of generosity, we had no money, we had nothing, and my graduating class in, ceremony, in uh, seminary took up a collection, and they planned a surprise honeymoon for us, and there we are in Tuscany, and it's beautiful, it's cold, we're eating gelato, and Rachel wants to hold my hand, and I'm like, why does she want to hold my hand? Because I, I just didn't know where affection would come from. I mean, I'm sure it's here somewhere, but I don't understand why someone just wants to hold my hand. I needed help. And as we talked a couple of weeks, there's plenty of help, and this is where community comes in. But the heart also represents our will and our deepest convictions. The mind, to love the Lord with all of our mind means to use our mind like a parachute, open and deployed. Love asks questions. Because love uh, pursues us to be interested and to find out more. Tell me more. I need to, what is the reason behind this? To use our mind like a parachute, open and fully deployed. And then strength. To use all of our ability and all of our power. Everything that we can muster to bring to love. And it's worth saying that only one person has ever truly been able to do this. And no surprise, it's Jesus. And he could describe Jesus' journey to the cross as one where he demonstrated what it is to put all of these things together. Think for a moment, there's so many examples of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. That was his moment to cut and run. The soldiers had yet, arrived, yet to arrive, he was not arrested, he was there. His community, his connect group were there, asleep, right, when you're... When you're sleeping, you can get the other person get away with all kinds. And, but we see him mustering everything his, he has, his heart, his mind, his strength in prayer that he would do what's asked of him out of obedience and love to the Father. 
And then we see in Hebrews, it's described slightly differently. It says this, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Well, what was the joy to be anticipated? The anticipation of joy, we know in psychology, and hey, I'm no expert in psychology. I skipped it because I thought I couldn't understand what I was thinking, let alone the science of the brain. But I know I'm, I'm amongst... Uh, some, some experts here, but we know that delayed gratification is a powerful thing to teach children, and if we can, to teach adults, because it makes the experience so much more enjoyable. And so we see here that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, and what was that joy? Well, yes, it was see the, the redemption of all things, but personally, it was the relationship with you and with you and with you, that you might know his love and that you might show his love. And so the love of Jesus is the primary ingredient. It's the essential starting point and it's the destination to receive his love that we might put it on display for all to see. It's interesting, isn't it, where our culture is right now and in many ways, I love it because it's, I mean, I, go, I get confused at a coffee shop because there's so many options. And I, I'm a Maxwell guy. I'm a Folgers guy. Just black and I don't care what it tastes like. And, and yet there's so much on offer. But in so many ways where our culture seems to have deviated is that the message they're sending out is like Beatles 316. Where all you need is love. All you need, you know, I almost had the band sing it, but, you know, I just, I didn't. And um, for many reasons. And I love that idea. And I wish it was so true because it was make our job so much easier that all we need is love. But I don't know about you, but I'm a train wreck inside. My heart is so conflicted. And in order for me to need love... In order for me to, my heart, my mind, and my strength to respond in, in a loving way, I need help. When things get busy, operationally, I can get everything done with a measure of excellence, whether it's bringing flowers home, getting the laundry done, and that's, you know, when Rachel's home and not away. But I get so focused on the results and it's happened time and again, Rachel will take me aside and she said, honey, you're doing everything right, but your affection and your tenderness are gone. What's wrong? And that's, you know, just cuts to the heart. So for me, and I would dare say for others, Beatles 316 doesn't work. Doesn't work. It's a lovely idea. But let me ask a different question. What might happen if we stop striving to summon up our own meager resources to demonstrate love, but rather from a channel of abundant, generous, overflowing love that pours out from the heart of God, if we were to receive from that and then act, what would that be like? I mean, you can call it what you like. I need rescuing. I need saving. And it's only after receiving his love that I can put it on display. It's only after receiving God's affection and his kindness that I can also be kind. What about you? 
The first step in loving well is receiving God's love. And someone once explained it to me like this. If you'll permit an illustration. The prophet Isaiah says that 100 years before the birth of Jesus said this. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray and each one of us has turned to his or her own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, imagine this hand represents you and me. And at some point, we did something wrong. We sinned. And so all of a sudden, because we've gone astray, sin has entered the equation. And if God's in the ceiling, there's now a barrier between us and God. And so there's a blockage. And so along comes Jesus, who lives a perfect life without sin, and there's nothing in the way between him and God, no impediment, no selfish thought, just perfect love. And what he does is he takes upon himself our sin so that now we are free to enjoy what only he could so that we now have a relationship with God where there is no barrier between our ability to receive his love and our ability to share his love. And in death, he rose to new life, making the life that was his available to us. I don't know if you've read the book by Charlie Mackesy, deep theological tome that it is, and it's, I commend it to you all, called The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. Anyone, anyone read it? He says this, summarizes it so well. What do you think success is, asked the boy? To love, said the horse. Isn't that beautiful? What is, what is the measure of success, really? To love. So the first step in loving well is receiving God's love, and that may be difficult. I don't know if it's easy for you to receive, but it's, it's a discipline we need to learn. Because love, as I've said, is the primary ingredient. It's the essential starting point, and it's the destination. And so let me ask you the question that I ask myself, and then I'll, I'll, I'll illustrate to you how this has been playing out live and is yet to be resolved. Um, is love enough for you? Or do you create your own markers of how to be a good follower of Jesus? What's your motivation? Is it be love-led or results-led. Back in March, with great joy, we only had one vehicle, one car. We bought a second car, a car I'd wanted for 20 years, a Mini Cooper S convertible. I never wanted the convertible, but we got it for a steel, beautiful interior. And um, in August, or I guess it was August, the early signs of transmission failure happened. Big deal. And so, six weeks ago, and then you can't find a mechanic who wants to work on a Mini because a Mini is, well, Mini. It's just a pain. You gotta take it all apart and figure it out. And so I finally found someone who would work on it. And the dealership quoted $11,000, and I said, well, I'm not doing that. I'll YouTube it before I pay you that. I didn't YouTube it. Um, instead, I found a mechanic in Richardson, and uh, I don't know why, but I put my collar on when I dropped the mini off. I know why. I was trying to get an advantage. <laughs> and I showed up, 
and I uh, start talking to the mechanic, and he says, oh yeah, at best, $700. I can do it for $700. But if it's, if it's more complicated, it'll take a bit more time, it'll, but the most it'll be is probably three days and $5,000. I was like, all right, there's a warranty, you gotta talk to the warranty, we'll figure it out. Three days in, I call. How's the mini, is it ready to be picked up? Said, no, we've had a delay. I said, all right. And um, I just knew that I wasn't allowed by the Lord to let him have it. You know, to be a jerk and to shout at him and tell him that he's a no good, you know, whatever. You just let your anger rule. Um, and so, anyway, I said, it'll be ready by Friday. So I call Friday, not ready. So um, I start biking everywhere. It's great because I've got a physical coming. I had a physical coming up. I thought, this is great. Uh, week two, I call three times. Three times a delay. Parts are hard to come by, this, that, and the other. Uh, week three, I call four times. Again, every time. I'm really sorry. Mr. David, this never happens. I always do this. And, and every time, I notice there's more and more of a hesitation as he answers. Uh, week four, um, I call four times. And every time, I know that I... I think I can't really sin when I speak to him because I try to use this for an advantage and I think the laugh is on the Lord, right? So I'm just trying to be kind and gracious and he's, it seems clear that he doesn't frequent church. And, um, and so the fourth week goes by and we're polite. He just can't believe that I'm not angry. And so when I call last week, week five, he says, Mr. David, I, I, I'm so embarrassed. I'm gonna knock the price down. I said, thank you. He said, this is really not how I work. I said, I know. And he said, well, well I don't understand your response. I said, what do you mean? He said, no one's ever talked to me the way that you do. And I, and I said, well, tell me more. He says, well, are you frustrated? I said, yes. Are you angry? Yes. Huh. Okay, well, I'll get it ready Wednesday. Wednesday comes and goes, no car. Friday comes and goes, no car. Uh, I spoke to him. Uh, week six, Monday. It's going to be ready. The guy's coming to program. It works fine. And then he says, you know, it's the third valve body that's been delivered that's defective. And the manufacturer wants me to rig it so that you think it's perfect. Um, but Mr. David, I can't do that to you because you'll burn out your transmission and then you'll be on the side of the road and um, you've never treated, I've never been treated like this. So um, give me a bit more time. Be ready Wednesday. We're now Sunday, still no mini. I don't know if I'll ever get the car back at this point, <laughs> but I've not paid anything yet, and the Lord has provided so incredibly in the, that, and I've really felt that as much as I want, I think Rachel probably would have a different response uh, than the patient, but I really feel that the, there's something happening here that is more than the car. And I don't know how it's gonna work out. I'd love to say the law gets saved and we'll have a, a mechanic transmission crew coming to church and all our cars will be set for life. I don't know. But what I'm trying to work out is how do I love someone who's consistently not doing what they said? And how do I love someone whose work is a continuous disappointment? Because it's just not pre 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 uh, make, making the results that I've asked for. And then this morning, as I was preparing for this, and you know, I really, I've never really heard the Lord speak that dramatically. It's always an impression to me, but I, I felt him say, 
Now you have a little bit of an understanding of what it's like with you. I love you. And you're going to get it wrong. But it's okay. Because we've got time. And if that's true for me, I'm a train wreck. Y'all are much better turned out than I am. That's the love that he has for us. That time and time again, we get it wrong. Time and time again, we disappoint others, maybe ourselves, whatever it is. And time and time again, he has nothing but kindness, tenderness, love, and affection. So, you may never see me in a mini, but I'm hopeful for Monday. Is love enough? It's, you know, we need agendas. We need to see change. The world is not as it should be, and the Lord is looking to us, and the world is looking to us to bring about that change. The challenge is to do it in love and not to give ourselves permission to hate those who have a different point of view than we do. Is love enough? Have you, I know I have, created my own markers of what it means to be a good follower of Jesus? What would it look like to be love-led? Because if we're love-led, then we'll be able to connect the people of East Dallas with God and with his people so that we might behold him and become more like him. That's the goal. Why don't we stand? Lord, we need you. We need your help. We need your love. You've given us your forgiveness. And even now, Lord, we ask that you would come by your spirit and that you would lead us by your presence to discover what this week would look like so that a successful week would be a week filled with love, even amongst all the challenges that we have. So Lord, we give to you our workplace. We give to you all that we do during nine to five, whether it's at home with children or at work or at play, all that we do. And even now, Lord, as we pray, as we've sung about surrender, we offer that to you. We give to you our loved ones. We ask that you would enable us to reflect the love that you've shown to us, to them. We give to you our neighbors. And we ask the same. Lord, enable us to lead in a loving way. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for all that you've put on display for the world to see and the love that you have for us through your son, Jesus. And now we ask that you would enable us to follow his example this week. In Christ's name, amen.